you know, steep, steep cobbled climbs. So you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't be getting up those in a, with a 62 tooth chain ring like normally. The like the mirror, the carriage bargain, yeah. yes. So what he's, what he's running to allow him to race with that 62 tooth chain ring is a classified hub at the back, which given that there's a, you know, two speed internal gearing within the hub there, that will effectively give him something like a 62, 42 and a half tooth chain ring. Welcome back to Geek Warning, everybody. It is Wednesday, February 22nd. By the time you listen to this, it'll be the 23rd. Uh, and we are officially less than a week away from a very big announcement over here at placeholder slash geek warning world headquarters we're very excited about it keep an eye out for it next week uh that's all i'm gonna say for now and now we're gonna get into a pretty spectacular episode except ronan has something to say already uh, i was gonna ask do you, do you guys get mustard bean yeah you know it, it bean? crosses the pond every once in a while there was one episode where he was like sending himself christmas cards and <laughs> the way you're talking here it's it's like you put yourself under embargo <laughs> there's a big thing coming <laughs> Can't really say what it is. <laughs> Next week. Kind of. Kind of have. Kind of have put it myself under embargo. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll talk more about this next week. But... I didn't sign an NDA. I can reveal all right now. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, Dave. Uh, we, yeah, we, you know, bigger project, the broader project around these podcasts is coming. Uh, or, or I, I should say the the beginnings of it are coming next week. Mm-hmm. Um and we're super excited about it. We are slightly terrified, I would say. Uh, I think that's accurate. Mm-hmm. But mostly really excited and cannot wait to sort of fully kick things off beyond talking into microphones, which we love doing. Mm. But uh, we also love writing things and taking pictures of things and, and all the rest. So keep an eye out for that next week. You've already heard both of them. Dave Rome, how are you? I'm well, Kaylee Fretz, who also didn't introduce himself. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. This is just a really, really professional episode so far. <laughs> Ronan, how are you? Mm, yep, I'm good. I was going to nod, good. but you kind of have to say something. Are you enthusiastic? Uh, I, I, I am, yeah. Am I not always? Yeah. No, you sound pretty enthusiastic. Oh, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. All right, we're going to get into today's show. We've, we're going to talk about Silka Pumps uh, and a Supreme tool collaboration so that's fun uh we're going to dive a little bit into something that our our good friend friend of the podcast ray at dc rainmaker was talking about this week we're gonna hint at a new envy gravel bike that's fun and we're gonna talk about victor campenart's racing with that wild two-speed classified hub uh coming up very soon that's very interesting. We've got some ETRTO rumors. Those are our favorite kind of rumors, as as you all know. We've got a new Pinarello. We've got a crazy dropper post that was actually from last year we're going to talk about. And, and more. some hub yeah. stuff. And and some hub. As I read this list, this sounds like a lot to talk about today, guys. I'm not sure. <laughs> Zero promises that we actually get through all of this, but we will make every effort to do so uh and then of course we've got on our minds and over the heads of our family and your weekly psa from dave rome mm. so i think we should kick off let's kick off with some of the the, the light-hearted fare here uh the new silka pump and this tool yeah dave, 
Uh, well, Silk has just updated their Impero Ultimate, which is their frame pump. Uh, and it's now the 2.0. And I find this interesting because it's quite cool to see the frame pump being kept alive. Uh, and for Silka, that's been a really popular product because it's, I guess it's part of their signature series and that uh, this is the sort of product that people buy and have painted to match to their to their pretty high-end uh, custom bikes. Uh, and all that Silka seemingly has done is, is change the way that it's adjusted. So you can now... There's effectively now a thread inside the pump that allows you to adjust its length precisely so you can get a really secure fit. So through that, they've they've reduced the number, uh, the size range of these pumps. There's, there's fewer on offer. But uh, but yeah, they, they, they'll still fit the same number of frames and they'll, in theory, fit them more securely. So yeah, I, I think it's cool to just see high-end frame pumps continually being improved. I need to get one of these. Oh? Actually, I need to get one of these for my travel bike. Mm. Uh, because I have a great little lasagne, like it's like a mini floor pump basically oh, yeah. that I use when I go over there. Um, but then I often, about 30% of the time, I just forget another pump. Yep. And so then I'm riding around with a mini floor pump in my back pocket, which not is a, an interesting look mm. Yeah, not great. Or I just go buy a new one wherever, <laughs> wherever <laughs> I am, which is, uh, so now I have like a giant pile of like somewhat substandard mini pumps floating around my house. Mm. So what I need to do is just get one of these fantastic pumps, frame pumps, and get it for my my mosaic travel bike. I don't know how because I'm I'm a I'm a frame pump fan. Yeah. Like I I I like the look, I like the execution, I like the way that they function. I'm into. I it. don't know if this will fit your mosaic so well with the SNS couplers. So it'd be interesting to see if uh, if the SNS coupler interferes with the the fit of the pump. I think it should be okay. Yeah. I think it should be It's a very okay. unique but issue. We'll but find yeah. out. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find out. Ronan. Did, I'll report back. Did frame bag guy kill frame pump guy? Is that what happened? Frame pumps or why did they go away? Because they are just like so much better. I feel like the they time. left they le- they left the scene roughly at the invention of carbon fiber frames. So maybe maybe the invention of the, the perfectly once the perfectly round tube left the game, then maybe that's when the frame pump left the game. Yeah, I mean, if you think about, like, the shape at the back end of a head tube on a lot of those bikes, mm. sticking a frame pump on there. Like, I used to have a frame pump on my old, like, thinking back to my college days here, my old, like, specialized tarmac that I raced on for a while. Uh, but because of the curve connecting the top tube to the head tube, it sat, like, three inches below my top tube. And mm-hmm. that's just a much less uh, sleek look yeah. than the, 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 you know, the, the matchy-matchy uh matchy matchy pump along the top tube along a horizontal top tube in particular if about six months from now we see a truncated aerofoiled frame pump show up from silka uh we know you'll use it (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean and the other thing is mini pumps just got very good uh but it's still hard to beat the the volume that a a frame pump offers um personally I, I have previously done a shootout of frame pumps because, as you do, uh, and I don't use them for the for the sheer reason that uh, I believe that if you're using appropriate tires for your for your region, you probably don't need to worry about owning such an efficient pump and carrying it around for the rare the rare event. But that's just me, and maybe if I was still doing training Ks, um, I would change my mind on that. So, anyway. I kind of, I kind of agree with you, but I kind of don't. And and I think that the thing about the frame pump is it it goes from strictly utilitarian mm. 
to part of the aesthetic. Yes. Right. It can. Particularly yeah. if you're talking about on a custom bike. Yeah. Uh, like that's why that's that's why I want it is it's just a way to have the ability to pump my tires up at any time, but also in a way that like doesn't sort of negatively affect uh oh yeah, the aesthetics of my hmm. quite expensive bike bicycle Add, that I like a adds lot. to the aesthetics. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. And particular so my my frame isn't painted because it's a travel bike and i think painting a travel bike is silly uh because it's just going to get scratched we've talked about this before particularly with my packing methods mm-hmm. and or lack of uh oh yeah exactly but i i do love a good like painted to match frame pump that is a that's a really really good look yeah i love that a lot yeah anyway we're getting a little stuck on frame yeah. pump, so we've got a lot to talk yeah. about the other thing the other thing on that list um and I want to just touch on this really quickly. I want to mention it because we're going to tease something. Uh, so Silka had a collab, Silka X Supreme, uh, the fashion brand, mm. the brand brand, known for being a brand. Uh, <laughs> there was a whole lot of hate for this particular item, like in the comments on Instagram, for example. And I that 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 sort of grabbed my interest. Like I want to know why people are hating on this, why people love it. It's sold out, so it obviously it sort of splits uh, splits opinions quite dramatically. So I just want to mention it as a tipping off point into. I want to have a longer discussion with some of the folks that do some of these collabs with uh, with these sort of much 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 larger, more uh, widely known brands within the bike world, right? So like Palace and Cannondale Palace and EF supreme and and silka i think that'd be an interesting conversation to have about what like what the goals of those things are like who they're who they're trying to attract whether they think it is effective in growing cycling or whether it's just sort of a a weird one-off anyway i think it's an interesting topic so keep an eye out or an ear out for a podcast on that sometime in the next uh i don't know at the moment we're quite busy but uh at some point in the next maybe like six weeks or so we'll see if we can get that one out the door Hmm. Dave, returning to the more nerdy, uh, like I said, our, our our good friend, friend of the podcast, Ray, over at DC Rainmaker, mm. uh, he had some things to say, some not some particularly nice things to say about the Shimano power meter. Mm. What's going on? New Durace power meter, the uh, R9200 yeah. series. Uh, Ronan, I don't know. I'll throw this one yeah, to you. What's, what's happening? I popped up in my, I think it was on YouTube there a couple of nights ago, just... Uh, Ray over at DC Rainmaker had uh, basically given his analysis on the new parameter from Shimano after I think it was something like ten, eight to ten months of writing it and did not have very good things to say about it at all. Um, of course, the previous generation of this parameter was sort of plagued with accuracy issues also, and despite that, did also seem quite popular. Um, but Fast forward to the new 12-speed Durace and the new parameter, and they were sort of conspicuous in their absence amongst quite a lot of World Tour teams, especially at the start of last year, and a lot of us put it down to just availability, but Ray seems to think now that it's actually, well, I wouldn't say seems to think, he, he knows now that it's actually down to uh, quite a lot of accuracy issues that it's having. Specifically, he named five or six different accuracy issues with the new parameter, and yeah really it's uh it's not not a great not a great look for shimano for such a reputable you know uh reviewer uh, uh to, to find such issues and he mentioned how he had difficulty just even getting a review crank to 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 conduct a review on uh and a, 
a sort of uh, a fellow YouTuber or a colleague of ours or, or whatever, um, Shane Miller, GP Lama, he had similar issues and actually took to getting a lend of a Duras parameter from a local bike shop and had similar results. So uh, I'm not going to go into it in too much detail. The, the video is yeah. over on, on Ray's site for anybody who wants more details, but it's not a great look right now. Yeah, I, I just find this surprising because, I mean, Shimano's not new to power meters. Um, I mean, their, their power meter tech dates back to their, their bikefitting.com acquisition. Uh, and more recently, they acquired Pioneer's technology. So it, it surprised me that there were known issues with the previous version and that they haven't overcome them. I'm, I'm wondering, is this just a software issue or is it a firmware issue or is it does, does Ray or... Shane, do they are they pointing towards more of a Ray actually a pointed surprisingly. You know, I, I think whenever I clicked on the video, I assumed it was going to be a design issue because that was sort of the problem with the previous crank, and it is quite similar with the with the new one. But Ray actually pointed to perhaps it's just some of the hardware and electronics used within the the new parameter just aren't up to scratch, which which would suggest that this cannot be easily fixed. Um, so it. it uh, I think everybody is hoping it's a software issue can be updated with some sort of firmware update, but who who knows? It doesn't doesn't appear to be like that. Yeah. Well. Okay. Well. Yeah. I mm, guess one certainly. to watch. Is it still built on the Pioneer Pioneer Tech? Uh, I think. I think because I mean, it, it was just like a Pioneer for a little while, right? It's, it's similar. There's there's definitely some okay. some similar. Uh, there's definitely some similarities in terms of uh, the tech used here and the. The design approach but yeah i mean they're not mm. they're not the same for one like the pioneer my understanding was actually quite uh external in its approach it was, it was very much attached mm. to a pre-existing crank whereas shimano's does make use of uh the internal aspects of the crank you know again considering how packed the run she does this week maybe one to pick up another week or maybe even one for a, a, a deep dive a deep dive episode but just parameters in mm. general um uh, I'm becoming more and more, what's the word? I wouldn't say disillusioned with them, but uh, you know, at the same time, Shimano are not alone in terms of accuracy issues with parameters. And considering how much these things cost and how, I don't know, can we say mature the technology is at this point? Like it has been, what, 40 years since the first SRM? I think, yeah. I think we are at that point yeah. now. And still, you could have, you know, a parameter that basically gives you WHATS instead of. W A double T S, a gasometer. <laughs> that was did 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 you did you prepare that, Ronan? Did you prepare that little little quip there? No, well, I mean, I didn't prepare it, but I've maybe said it a million times previously. Okay. So <laughs> that was a little bit too smooth. A little bit too. Smooth. He's running his own run uh, sheet here. He's got one he didn't share with us. I yeah let's let's move on from this. We just wanted to highlight it uh, mostly because Ray does great work and and we want to basically head on over there and you'll get the full details and and I do think it's worth us diving into a bit more up later on. Up next, uh, new NV gravel bike. So actually, technically, the day that we're recording this, we're not supposed to talk about it. But by the time it goes out, mm. it will be out. So uh, I think the embargo's up tomorrow, right? Yeah. So Dave, yeah, we don't have a ton on this, but Anything that Envy does in the carbon space is worth talking about. So, yeah. what is it? Uh, it? It appears... I actually don't know anything official about this bike. I've just heard whispers of it, and now Envy themselves are teasing it online. So, uh, now we know it's coming out tomorrow. Uh, but it appears to be a, a gravel version of the, the Melee. Uh, melee? 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 
I don't know. Uh, their their production road bike. So it's it's uh, their Asian made road bike, which is personally I find one of the more attractive production road bikes on the market today. Uh, one of the higher end options. Um, it's just a a really nicely integrated machine. Uh, and this is the gravel version. So it it appears to be have all the same features. Your your internal cable routing. Your um, generous tire clearance. Uh, nice component decisions should i say which uh not surprisingly integrate with envy's own parts uh but yeah wider clearance and this one shows it having mud on it so uh, yeah uh it shows a, a round seat post because there's dropper compatibility uh that's probably all we can say at the moment but given their road bike and the generous tire clearance on offer there i wouldn't be surprised if this gravel bike has room for maybe 45s is is my speculation mm. um yeah, I think it's I think it's one that I'm intrigued to see more of. We'll come back to it. Yeah, that's all we know for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure. I'm tomo- confused. You said it's got, you said it's got mud on it, but I thought it was a gravel bike. <laughs> would that's would mud tricky. make it a cyclocross bike? Uh, that's where what my if you came across muddy gravel. Hmm. <laughs> I think we need a new a new bike category for <laughs> this sort of terrain. You just <laughs> mud. Just mud. Uh, okay. A grud, a, a grud bike. Yes. Or a gravel bike. It's coming. <laughs> Grilled bikes are coming. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, this is a, this is an interesting one. So, this isn't actually the first time this has happened, but it is worth bringing up again. So, classified, the tricky, fancy, two-speed internal hub thingy, uh, as repped by. People like Tom Boonen. They it, it has been raced before. I think Ronan, you said before we hit record, it was used by Uno X last year. Uh, At the Tour de Hungary. Yeah, but it's going to be back in the World Tour this weekend. So what what do we know about this, and and what are the implications? Uh, it was actually, uh, I think it was Will Jones over at Cycling News had reported this this morning, and yeah, basically Campanar Two is known for all his marginal gaining uh was one of the i think he's one of the founding members of the marginal gains club uh he's not only riding with narrow bars turned on levers they also known as the stupid handlebar club yeah also, yes he's doing all those things this weekend but now he is also rumored to be starting um head newsblad this weekend with a 62 tooth one by front chain ring and obviously head newsblad includes Quite a few Flemish Hellingen, uh, you know, steep, steep cobbled climbs. So you wouldn't want to be, you wouldn't be getting up those in a with a sixty-two tooth chain ring like normally, the like the mirror, the carriage Bergen, yeah. yes. So what he's what he's running to allow him to race with that sixty-two tooth chain ring is a classified hub at the back. Which, given that there's a you know um, two-speed internal gearing within the hub there, that will effectively give him something like a sixty-two. 42 and a half tooth chain ring combination up front you know and in a in a sort of in a good old fashioned two by chain ring setup he would have something like a 62 42 and a half so uh, obviously you know the the question would be why um and actually Cameron did something similar last year for head news but he he raced with a 58 tooth chain ring but it was a two by setup that time i think he had a 42 on the inside as well but 
this year he's gone a step further. Uh, the reason you would want the bigger chain rings is obviously for the drivetrain efficiency. This year he's gone a step further to get one by for presumably for aerodynamic uh, improvements also. Um, and and so also yeah. chain security. I mean, we've seen we've seen enough chain drops once people stop start using stupidly large chain rings um, that I can understand the the desire to improve the reliability of the system. Is it stupidly large chain rings, or is it just non, you know, group set manufacturer not, supplied? Not Shimano. Yeah, not Shimano or not SRAM or not yeah. Campag. You know, different chain rings from for the group set yeah. that they're using. Yeah, that too. Yeah, I mean it's. I, so, I guess once you get to sixty-two tooth, aren't you forced to not be on? No, I, I, that's no what I mean. Yeah, but it, yeah, like, yeah, you know, if you go anything above, if you want to go anything above fifty-four with Shimano, then you have to go to an, another supplier. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think Shimano does produce up to fifty-eight for their team use. Okay. If I if I'm not mistaken, I think I think Shimano has supplied like um, Ineos, for example. I think were supplied fifty-eight teeth chain rings which someone didn't use at the World Champs. Uh, but yeah, I think it's, um, yeah, above that, you, you start to definitely get into the realms of outside of intended group set use. So let's let's talk briefly about the marginal gains here because I think that's, that's the interesting thing. Uh, I mean, Classified's whole pitch is that they can have a two-speed internal hub that does not add significant drag, right? Because that's always been the issue with these systems if you're, if you're talking about like, like like a roll-off for example what are they like a 14 speed internal but there's a fair amount of additional drag out of that not enough for like your average bike packer to care but enough for victor competence to care for sure yeah so that's that's classified's pitch uh but there's i mean the the, the increase in drag can't be zero i don't yeah. see how it could possibly be zero and i don't think that they're even claiming it's zero so Campanarts has done the calculation here that the improvement in drivetrain efficiency from the large chain ring mm-hmm. and presumably chain line and aerodynamics yep. outweighs the classified two by so, internal two by. So the loss, drag. the the increased drag from the system is only there when you're using the planetary gear. So which is in the lowest gear. So the like that point mm. seven point seven three or whatever it is. Uh, so yeah, your low, your low, effective chainring on that on that uh, hub, uh, in the big chainring. So when it's effectively the hub's locked out and you're in that sixty-two tooth chainring, um, it's basically just a hub at that point. It's just a, a well-sealed hub, and it's questionable whether that there's drag there versus like a a lesser sealed ceramic bearing hub. But maybe he's using something special in this one. So he's thinking he probably is going to spend a lot of the day in the sixty-two, anyway, in the in the For full sure. year, yeah. right? But he's not going to go up the the Mur in that. No, <laughs> he's not going to go up the Kottenberg in that. No. Uh, so again, I, I assume that he has just done the calculation and sort of like across the entire day, he ends up saving more kilojoules with this system than yeah. Than not. So I've I've previously spoken to Classified about this, and I've ridden the product as well, and. The loss, the drivetrain losses when you are in that smaller position for the hub, um, they believe are so negligible that at that point it's it's questionable over whether you're losing efficiency versus being in a smaller chain ring where there's more chain wrap, uh, and also mm. through the chain line losses. Uh, so they they think it's kind of a wash. Uh, I personally 
couldn't detect the difference, but I could hear it. There was there was a slight whirring noise coming on the quietest of roads. You could kind of hear that there's something going on there that would be creating or taking away a little bit of energy, but it's not enough that I could feel it. I guess the question is as well as like, as you said, Kitty, you arrive there having spent less energy, but if it's where the race is decided and you have any extra, you know, uh, drag there, that you know, uh, is it worth it? And as you said, he he's probably made the calculation. I think it was, I think it was Josh Portner. I once heard say that for every tooth you add to the chainring, you can find a third of a watt uh, in hmm. terms. So the difference then between a sixty-two and a fifty-three would be what two and a half watts. Uh, and then presumably at the it, the same, I presume would apply to riding a, a larger sprocket on the rear to match that sixty-two. So it could be another two watts, and that's so. You know, if it, you could be looking at five watts here, um, plus the aero savings, plus the chain retention. So it doesn't surprise me that Campbell Arts is is doing this because he's you know he's he's got a track record for stuff like this. But I think the key thing here is that. Actually, Campanarts is a damn good classics writer now, and could well could actually win on Saturday. You know, it's not outside the realms of possibility. And then, you know, it's fascinating to think well, just how many people might turn up to the Tour of Flanders with the same setup if Campanarts, <laughs> if Campanarts goes from a good writer to a head newsblad winner. You know, that's the kind of catalyst that we've seen previously just flip a peloton's mindset. Yeah, the thing working against them here is, I mean, honestly, there's there's going to be some significant drivetrain uh, sponsorship conflicts here for for a lot there's, of riders. Like, there's also the yeah, fact that if he punctures, he's out of the race. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> because he's not uh, out of the race. Well, his, can... his team car will have to give him a, a, a rear wheel. He cannot take a, a wheel from neutral. He yeah. could, but again, he's not no, getting he, up the mirror. <laughs> you could. You can definitely swap in any wheel. Uh, it'll fit without without any issue. It's just uh, then at that point, yeah, as you say, he's stuck on a 62 chain ring. And probably with a smaller cassette than he'd bargained for. But uh, yeah, so, uh, but yeah, it's the this system requires its own cassette. So you're talking about a, a hub, a rear hub and cassette that isn't sponsor correct. So I think there will be some teams that even if the technology makes sense, they just they just won't be allowed to use this. How far Victor has come from the only reason we were talking about him is because he asked a woman out by painting on his chest at the Giro time trial. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's come a long way, Mr. Kampenertz. <laughs> Next on our list here, uh, this, is, this is getting into the geekiest of the warnings. Uh, we have... From a good source, a rumor that the new ETRTO standard will mandate nothing wider than a 23 millimeter internal width for use with 28 millimeter tires. So, what are the ramifications of that? I mean, the initial, the thing that, that pops out to me is basically if you're trying to sell a new bike with 28s, you're not going to be able to sell it with super wide rims if you if you want to hit those ETRTO standards. Uh, I guess the biggest ramification here is the obvious one that there are some road wheels on the market today that run a 25 millimeter internal rim width uh, that potentially will will have to rebrand or, or potentially change their their marketing materials to make it clear that the combos they're currently pitching is fine are not fine. Uh, and I'm I'm 
I guess the specific example of that is Zips 303 Firecrest and the 353 NSW wheels, which are like their mid-depth road wheel, uh, all-round or road wheel, and that that's a 25 mi- mi- that's a 25 millimeter internal width hookless rim uh, that currently uh, they claim is fine for use with 28 mil tires. Is this anything consumers have to be worried about? I'd I'd say the only thing consumers need to be worried about is. If this proves to be true, then maybe, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> pay pay attention. Not. I mean, it's just it just reiterates the fact that you need to pay attention to how wide your tires are relative yeah. to your your rim inner width. Yeah. Right. And, um, so it was myself that got past this piece of information, and mm-hmm. the person who shared it wishes to remain nameless, so we shall do that. But. I did ask, you know, are you aware, and this is someone within the industry, I was like, are you aware of any issues or any failures that may have motivated this change? And they were not aware of of anything. I'm not aware of anything that might have motivated this. That's not to say something doesn't exist, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, as, as far as, as far as, this source is concerned it, it is happening it's only a, a matter of time they've been communicated the information uh they are designing new products based around this piece of information and yeah. you know the other thing that we discussed was like yes there are rims out there road rims out there for road tires that are said to work well with 28s that do have a 25 millimeter internal but most rims with that width of internal are actually gravel wheel sets uh, and so gravel tires have been much wider, not an issue there. But yeah. if we do in future hear that there could be an issue somewhere with 28s tires and 25 internal rims, you know, quite often we hear about the versatility of gravel bikes and putting road tires on there. So it could just be something to think of from that direction. And if you're if you're downsizing your tire, I I quite like the fact that the ETRTO uh, agrees with me because I've previously suggested that 25 mil internal is. A little too excessive for people wanting to run 28 or or, or smaller road tires uh the width suddenly makes sense as you go wider like into the gravel realm or, or even all road sort of like 30 32 mil space is great but yeah i've previously suggested that i personally tend to not go wider than say 23 mil rims for road use uh just because i i find it it squares the tire off too much and then your the bike's handling gets sacrificed as a result of that 30 is the new 28 anyway. 30 is the new 28, but 28 yeah. is still the same old 28 that is more relevant for road racing, I would say. Are we talking tire size or fun? years of age? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm moving us on. <laughs> Speaking of years of age, there's new Pinarellas. Yeah. Uh, well, I was going to say two new bikes. There's actually three new bikes and two new frames. There's an F series have basically done away with the old Paris and Prince frames and bikes and replaced them with a new F series so that includes the F9 which is the top tier the F7 and the F5 which is sort of the entry to the the range at that point and then alongside that you've got the X series which is uh, more of an endurance uh, not all road but endurance bike in the more traditional sense of what an endurance bike is rather than what it endurance bike has become of late anyway i digress Mm -hmm. uh the the f series is the one that sort of caught my attention because it is well 
obviously Panarello have got the Dogma F, which is obviously their their race ready bike, the the bike that Enios Grenadiers ride. But this new F nine in particular and the F seven are what Panarello are sort of describing as their new race ready bikes for you know for for anybody who isn't maybe looking to meet the to buy a dogma <laughs> to buy yeah. a dogma yes <laughs> yeah. trying to find a nice way of, of saying that um but yeah there is no nice way of saying spend that much money on a on a race bike so basically the f9 uh keeps much the the f9 and the f7 are both Torre t900 carbon uh and those frames as opposed to the t1100 and the dogma f so that's the differentiator there and then the f5 is a spec lower again in terms of carbon you're getting the Torre t700 and that seems yeah. to be really the main difference because when you look at these they actually look a lot like a dogma f like i mean a lot like a dogma f if Pin- anything pinarello has yeah pinarello has a strong history of uh reusing molds across its range or or trickling down molds like often the the lower end models like the paris was often like the previous generation dogma uh, or the Prince was often the previous generation dogma. So, yeah, I think I wouldn't be surprised if they're once again reusing molds of of some some case, but just with more material in it. Well, you've kind of skipped to the punchline there, and that that's what I oh. was sort of w- wondering here. And that the, these bikes, you know, the, there, there's so much information about them out there. We don't need to go into all those details again, but. I'm sort of looking at them and going, why now would I buy a Dogma F? You know, put the price aside. Uh, and these new bikes, while they are lower priced than the Dogma F, they are by no means cheap also. Like, let's just be clear about that. But also I'm looking at it and saying, well, if the new F9 comes with your SDI2, uh, apart from an upgrade in the wheels and tires, I can't really look at another, or point another thing that I would say there is why I would go and spend an extra two, three thousand on a dogma you you're clearly are not the customer because the the customer buying the dogma f is buying it because it's a dogma uh it's the best it's the same reason why specialized sells s-works bikes it's that there are a, a number of people out there that just simply want the best regardless of the price and pinarello uh owned by the louis vuitton group have absolutely nailed their their marketing in terms of uh appealing to that customer uh, so yeah, I think I think that's the answer. I think the F bikes uh, are interesting. I, I think they're still quite expensive. Like you're still talking about, I think I saw eighty eight hundred dollars for an Altegra Di two model. So I mean that's that's not the most expensive bike, but it, it's it's competitive with other bikes on the market. But it's it's still not a cheap bike that we're talking about here. Yeah, well, the the pricing I have here is in euros, so forgive me for anybody who doesn't work in that currency. But you're looking basically twelve thousand euro for either a Durace Di2 or a SRAM Red equipped F9. For an Altigra Di2 or SRAM Force equipped bike, you're looking at uh, basically eighty eight hundred euro, uh, and then below that, the F5 with one hundred five Di2 is sixty eight hundred euro. Uh, there's some other options with. You know, different wheel sets and that. There are the frame set only option for the F7 that comes in at five grand. But um, a step it's in the right in the Domani. Yes, a step in the right direction. But uh, you, you know, we're still not. It's kind of shocking. We're there's we're you know we're the, the, there's still ex, there's still a lot of money involved in buying one of these bikes. And just to go back to your description of the customer there, Dave. Like I I I was going to admit that I actually am a Dogma customer, having previously mm. purchased a dogma 
Um, mm. But given the description you, you just gave, now you have a child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, I got a I got a very very good deal on that dogma at the time. Let's say, and okay. yes, I also didn't have a child at the time. But um, given the description you give of Louis Vuitton and other things there, none of those things I have. So clearly, I'm no longer the customer. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, the the Pinarello X came with a, a sentence in their press release that, that stood out to me, which is, uh, the Pinarello X is dedicated to all riders who ride for pure pleasure, but who still need the thrill of powerful acceleration and adrenaline-fueled descents. The the word need is is very good to me. Uh, I, I like that. <laughs> Should we do a whole segment on favorite sentences from marketing copy? I think that would be pretty fun. You could mm. have a, like a game of guess who. There's some real ringers out there. Yeah. Oh, that's a, ooh. Play that game. Yeah. Read the read the sentence, and then the other two of us have to decide what recent wrestlers that came ooh, from. That is a good one. Okay. <laughs> that's a that's a future segment for sure. All right, we'll keep that one in mind. Yeah. Keep that one in mind. Uh, keep those keep those marketing copywriters on their toes. <laughs> one one other thing, just about the pricing there, that struck me, and and is back, going back to the F nine for a second, or the F range. Um, the the F nine, the Jurious Di two version, is not available in either the UK, for certain, and as far as I understand it, is also not available in the United States. And the the question I had when I seen that was just you know. Does this bike, which is available in the EU market for twelve thousand euros, does that exist purely to make the other bikes, the Altigra and the Force bikes, uh, and and basically have a differentiator in there between Dogma F, F nine, F seven, and then all of a sudden the F seven starts to look even more appealing, or uh, 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 why else might not not be available elsewhere? I guess is my uh, question. I think it's as innocent as the fact that they're probably assembled in Italy. And logistically, it's no difficulty to just keep the group sets near the frames. And when they get an order, they just ship it out. Uh, whereas in the UK and the US, they actually have to warehouse those bikes. And they've decided that the customer wanting a Durace bike is a Dogma customer. Mm. Yeah, I, I suspect gets... it's something as innocent as that, which is if you're going to buy a Durace equipped bike at $12,000... Spending an extra few thousand dollars for the dogma isn't going to hurt you. When our enormous media empire gets off the ground, we'll just buy ourselves dogmas as many as, as much as we want, right? Mm-hmm. A dogma a month, I think, is what's uh, written into your contract, Ronan. Is that right? Because mm. <laughs> that's in that's that's in place of pay, right? It yeah, still yeah, sounds no, that's pretty right. generous to me. We're not, we're, not oh. <laughs> we're not we're not paying you anything. Not, not quite sure how I feel about that. That could actually work out a lot better. Yeah. Oh, they're, they're, they're copies. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on from Pinarello. We've spent a bunch of time on Pinarello. Uh, although it is one of those really fascinating brands mm. to us, I think. Let's talk BMC. Rome, there's some mountain bike stuff yeah. that we want to get into. Yeah. Uh, BMC revealed a new BM- uh, four-stroke, which is their cross-country dual suspension racing platform. Uh, they revealed this late last year. Uh, but what stood out to me, and one that I think had gone over the minds of quite a few people is um it has an integrated dropper seat post this isn't the first time bmc have done an integrated dropper uh this is the first time that they've done an integrated dropper with a pressurized air chamber in the frame that counteracts the the spring force of the dropper which means this bike has an automatic dropper post so traditionally a dropper post has a uh, a spring a coil or air pressure in it 
that you have to overcome that pressure by sitting down on the seat post and that lets you lower it and then that that spring with the push of a button will pop the seat post back up uh bmc have added this air chamber to basically let you with the push of a button lets it drop itself first of all mm. i think we should call this segment dirty dirty dave uh every week <laughs> second of all I do not I do not want <laughs> I just came up with it right. and I think it's the best. Okay. All right, whatever. <laughs> Second of all, dropper posts are notoriously uh terrible from a dependability perspective. They were. Uh they they remain like they're a lot better than they were, mm. but they're still not like I still, I still run into broken ones on a, on a pretty frequent basis. I should uh, use better dropper posts. So adding posts, yeah. this extra, le- this feels like a solution in search of a problem. It is a really good way for me to get my dropper down is just to sit on it because my butt is actually right there already. It's ready to go. Mm. It's uh, it's prepared to push on the saddle, sit on it even. It's an effective uh, mechanism. Make, I'll give you that. It, yeah. So I, this feels to me like. So a step, like just another thing to break. Basically. So the reason why this is exciting to me is in a cross country race or in a marathon race where you're already on the limit and you're trying to conserve energy wherever possible, it require it's basically you're doing like a squat, a body weight squat to drop your seat post down every time you're going on mm. a descent. And if you can just stay in your sort of like your attack position out of the saddle, ready for the descent, and with the push of a button, the seat post gets out of the way. You're you're saving yourself that energy, uh, which I think over like, say you're doing this, say a professional drops their seat post five times a lap, times seven laps. I mean that's quite a few body weight squats that you're saving yourself from. And I think in that application, this makes sense. But yes, it does introduce quite a lot of uh, complexity. And BMC's uh, own version actually are in the. Uh, it only works for up to, I think, 100 uses before the air chamber that you have to pressurize with a pump um, is emptied. Uh, so this really is a... Okay, now, a, I, now I really don't like this. This really is a, a cross-country race product. Right. You know, you're, yeah. I mean, in that in that space, I agree with you. Like, I mean, how many times have I been in a, in a cross-country race and then, for whatever reason, like, forgot to put my dropper down mm. and then I'm out of the saddle... And I'm kind of in that attack position and it's too yes. late, right? Yeah. Like it's bumpy yeah. and it's terrible. Yeah. And one, like, I just can't, I can't then get it down. You have yeah. to be like, all right, well, I'm doing this descent with my saddle up. Good luck to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that particular situation, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. But it definitely feels like one of those, as a consumer item, uh, yeah. run away. Yeah, no, I, I know. Run I, far, far I away. I think this is very I, much. I don't think it's. Yeah, I think this is the mountain bike equivalent of a time trial helmet. You know, I, I think it, it's a it's a niche, a niche use, uh, very much a, a race day use, and but I think that's cool that that BMC is looking at that. I, I have to interject here, and I'm by no means a mountain bike expert, but everything you're saying here, like a solution looking for a problem, time trial helmets, niche use, uh, race day only, everything I'm hearing is just like sending off all sorts of alarm bells. That should be really really interested in this. This yes. is exactly the you kind of product be. that I look for. Yeah, you should be. So it's. Uh, I, I am also yeah. in the market for a dropper post, but it has to be sub three hundred okay. grams. So if anybody can help me with that, um, uh, probably first of all, Fox go back to our transfer SL. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, 
Mm. It's one of the lighter ones going. Uh, Just chuck a height right on there. You'll be fine. Yes. <laughs> yes. But then you need a very uh, um, not so aerodynamic quick release lever to poke out, which yeah, is not Ronan style. Very true. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I think I think I don't know. This is yeah one of those products I can appreciate for the narrow use case, yep. but I fear that that narrow use case will be marketed as a wider use case than it actually yes. is. And so yeah, that, I think that would be my that would be my two cents to the consumers out there is like, do you need this? Is it just going to break on you? Do you want to pump up your dropper post? Probably not. Mm. Uh, if you are a professional mountain bike athlete, absolutely, this sounds great. Yeah. If you if you have a bike that you race all the time, sounds awesome. For like, let's say for me, I do three to four cross country races in a given season. Uh, no, thank you. Yeah, no, thank you. No, and thank you. and I, I will say that this isn't something I would personally buy just because of the complexity associated with it. So you're buying a proprietary dropper post system built around a proprietary frame ladder system that holds this air. Uh, there's a lot to go wrong here. And in and in five years' time, <laughs> I, I don't doubt that you will not be able to service this. Uh, but I, I just, I think if this, if BMC can, can prove that there's value in this, I think there'll be investment in the space. And I, I, I do think that automatic droppers are one day going to become a common site in race use and they will be reliable and not they... require inflating with a pump. Yes. Are they taking orders yet? I'm I'm so can, on I'm so it. on board from all of these. <laughs> yeah, yeah. BM, BMC four stroke twenty twenty three. Will they will they take one. a will it's they take a dogma and swap? Cost less than a dogma. Yeah, swap it for a dogma. You'll be fine. It actually doesn't. I checked the price. It costs more than a dogma. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, and you got to bring your own air as well. Uh, and and my Dave Rome recommended the air a... compressor won't even pump it up to the pressures required. I would have to pump it up by hand. Well, yeah, here, yeah. I could you get a frame a pump. pump. No, a frame pump wouldn't fit it. No. Uh, you need a shock pump, Ryan. A shock pump. Just just ask any any mountain biker like with mud on their legs and, and baggy shorts that you ride past, and they'll have a shock pump for you. Uh, well, thanks for today's Dirty Dirty Dave segment, Dave. Uh, if I don't know if I like that. Musical t- uh, that's too bad. Yeah. Uh, if you have any musical talent, we need a Dirty Dirty Dave theme tune. Uh, I'm imagining some so dirty bass. There's probably going to be some dirty bass yeah. in there. Uh, I think we probably need a little bit of sax. Actually, somebody could go with. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. somebody singing "Dirty Dirty Dave." Yeah. All right. Yeah. You know, I, I know we've got some talented folks out there. Uh, so you know, All right. get I, in touch if you want to make us a theme tune. Also, if you have no talent for music, still get in touch and send us <laughs> on something that could be better. <laughs> let's let's get this sorted. Amazing. <laughs> All right, let's get to hubs, mm. Dave. Some hope. Yeah, hub I love a, stuff. I love a good hub segment. Uh, hope have updated, revealed, released a a new model, the the Pro Five, which uh, takes over from the Pro Four, uh, which took over from the Pro Three. Uh, you get the idea. <laughs> don't say. But uh, the reason why this is interesting is Hope have long had, uh, I guess, these UK-made hubs, uh, machined hub shells, really nicely anodized in colors. Uh, and as far as nicely anodized colored hubs go, uh, Hope have often taken like a sort of a middle ground pricing approach. So they're not as expensive as, say, a Chris King or an Industry 9, 
but their their durability and their build quality is is often pretty closely comparable so they've they've long been quite an attractive option uh and the pro 5 looks pretty good on paper like this isn't something i've i've used yet it's not something i've had my hands on but they've made some pretty major changes to it uh most importantly they've they've lo sought to lower the drag of their freewheel mechanism all while increasing the points of engagement so they've stuck with a, a pole system but they've gone to six poles inside the hub with a sort of an offset design so it means only three poles at any point are engaged uh which allows them a hundred and eight points of engagement which is a lot uh three times more than most of the hubs out there on the market uh and yeah on top of that there's there's improved ceiling there's reduced weight there's wider compatibility with these hubs so you can swap end caps in and out you can change free hub bodies all the good stuff uh yeah larger bearings inside and on the road side of things there's a center lock option uh and yeah uh i guess most importantly though for for hope they have a reputation of supporting their product better than most so they're one of the companies that you can download some tools for 3d printing yourself uh but yeah they're promising to offer parts for this for 10 years after it is discontinued uh which is hmm. a good number uh and that's that's specific parts like that'll be like poles and hub shells and stuff things like bearings are standard so you'll always be able to get those uh but yeah i think that's just a really cool trend and i like what this company does and i want others to know about it so we can get more good durable stuff that's not incredibly expensive that has a bit of bling factor to it hope's awesome yeah i love what they do i've always loved what they do and they've been doing it for a long time now. very long time uh, yeah so kudos kudos to them do we want a psa or do we want to uh over the heads of our family first well whatever we can we can yeah whichever we want to do let's yeah. let's get your psa and we'll wrap up with over All the right. heads of our families yeah. uh so dave what is our what is our our public service announcement for today uh it's a message from your forks and your forks want to, to remind you to not ignore the headset that they hang out with uh and what i mean by that is uh, the headsets, the bearings that your fork runs on, and especially if your bike has a carbon fiber steerer tube, if you would ever run that headset loose, there's a good chance that you uh, have possibly grooved uh, a ring around your, your carbon steerer tube, which could potentially become a stress riser and could potentially end up in a really bad day for yourself. Uh, so yeah, I just uh, I think it's important to remind people that once in a while, it's a good idea to service the headset, put fresh grease in there, check that the bearings are still good and that they're running smooth and that there's no play in them. Uh, but while you're doing that, that gives you the opportunity to just visually inspect your fork. Uh, and yeah, you just want to make sure that this, the fork steerer, it has a, a smooth finish to it, no signs of abrasion or compression or cracking or anything like that. Uh, it should just look fresh. And if it doesn't, then uh, consult a carbon fiber repair specialist. Ronan. Is this like a one ride with a loose headset or is this like neglected for a year kind of thing that happens? I would say I've seen the grooving happen after as little as like a week of riding with a loose headset. Uh, 
Yeah, so I mean, it, it can happen quite quickly because uh, basically anytime you're using that front brake, you're putting quite a lot of force through that area. Uh, but yeah, it's regardless, it's it's a reminder not to ride with a loose headset for one. Uh, but most importantly, I think it's, um, it's just a part. Yeah. I'm more thinking like my parents' bikes, they, you know, I look after their bikes for them. And mm-hmm. if it went six months with a loose headset... I'm not certain that would be pointed out to me until I check their bike again. So it's it's more yeah. you know that's that's just one example. Or you know when I work in the shop, you would have bikes that came in with a loose headset. How long for has sure. it been loose for? Who knows? Yeah, and that's that's I guess my point is if you've got a bike that you don't know the history of that has a carbon steerer and it's come in with a loose headset, if you're a mechanic, the responsible thing to do is probably to tell the customer. Let's play it safe. Let me pull the fork out of that bike. It will cost you a little bit more, but then that way we, I can say for sure that bike is safe. And I think as a consumer, it's it's just a good thing to, to do maybe once a year or so is just to take the fork out of your bike and service that headset and, and give yourself that, that assurance that all is well. Uh, and yeah, if you do see the ring of death around your steerer tube in, in line with that top headset bearing, then... There are repairs out there that you can have done, um, but yeah, it's just it's worth uh, not playing with. So yeah, no, yeah, I think it's just a good PSA, a good PSA because it's a part of the bike that most people forget it needs looking at because it is hidden. So yeah, and a part of the bike that finds new and interesting ways to kill you uh, on a regular basis. So mm. let's let's try to avoid that. Yeah, exactly. Let's let's avoid falling yeah. down. Do you, do you want to hear the story about the training camp that we went on where like six out of eight of us realized we had cracked steerer tubes? Uh, and so oh. there, there was very little training done and quite a lot of drinking done instead. Wow. This this was like was after it? the first first spin. I think one one rider had a crash and the rest of us like, we better check our steerer tubes. Oh, we've oh, all got cracked steerer tubes. To the bar. Were they new bikes <laughs> for, for the season or the like... Uh, we were like all in different all teams, so this was like, this was probably 2006, 2007. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think carbon steers were as, you know, as widespread as they are now. Uh, we were not on premium brand bikes, I will say. Um, okay. And we were not premium level mechanics, so... Could have been a combination of neglect <laughs> and all sorts of things. This was around <laughs> August, September time, so late in the season. Um, okay. And also just, you know, some of them might not actually have been cracked. Just an excuse because the rider had cracked <laughs> more so than the steer tube had cracked. <laughs> Fair enough. The pub was looking very good. Yes. <laughs> let's get into Let's get into what is on our minds and over the heads of our families. Ronan, you got anything for us this week? A uh, quick one for me, just raglan sleeves. Hmm. Is that a three-quarter length? Interesting. Uh, the raglan, as far as I understand, is like it runs the whole way up your arm and across the shoulder and up to the collar. Um, uh, specifically, the raglan sleeves on the Ineos Grenadiers kit. I couldn't, I couldn't quite pinpoint what I didn't like about that new design. And then it just hit me. It was like, it's not got set in sleeves which are the you know the, when we all went to aero jerseys okay i know you love aero jerseys um <laughs> when we went to aero jerseys a while back we went for set and sleeves and 
I just much prefer the look of those. And it was only then when I realized what I didn't like about the NS Grenadiers jersey that I realized that half the Peloton have now moved to Raglan sleeves, which I don't like. So, hmm. um, how rude of them. Yeah. Inconsiderate, I might say, but. Now it's going to bother me next time I look at pictures of, of riders because I I also didn't know what felt weird, mm. but now I know. So thank you, Ronan. Or I'm not, <laughs> no thank you, I guess. Uh, it's everywhere. It's unfortunate. It's everywhere. Dave Rome, you got one for us? Yeah. Uh, after a gravel ride that turned very, very noisy over the weekend because it turned out that I had um, forgotten the distance that I'd put on my wax chain and had run out of said wax in the chain. Uh, what's on my mind is that I need a better system to remind me across the many, many bikes that I ride, uh, which one needs chain attention and which ones don't. Um, mm. So yeah, I, I'm, I haven't quite figured that one out yet, but yeah, the, the, the downside of waxing is when you've got eight plus bikes in circulation, you forget how far you've ridden each chain for uh and yeah as it turned out i had the very very irritating ride as my chain had become dry metal can you guess what my response is to that Dave? don't wax my chain what if what if what if we um what if we put the lubricant for your chain like in a in a bottle for example and uh and you could just put it on anytime you want. You could even like bring it with you on a bike ride. Bottled chain lubricant. It'll Sounds like come. snake oil to me. <laughs> <laughs> I say that. I say that, but I'm actually, uh, I am going to wax. I'm waxing a chain this week nice. uh, because I'm going to wax my travel bike chain. Yes. Because it's gross. Yeah. Clean chains are awesome. And it's time. Yeah. And I, I did like ages ago. And then I did the same thing as you, Dave, which is like, forget to wax it before a trip mm -hmm. and then got there and i was like well literally my only option is to go buy some lube and put yeah. it on and then i have I, I just haven't bothered to get it all the way down to zero again yeah. um but I'm for you kaylee much. i would recommend waxing your chain but then uh getting a very <laughs> nice drip bottled drip wax that you can then use as a top-up mm. lube while you're away on traveling um so something like ceramic yeah. speed ufo drip or a silka super secret or a a Rex diamond or something like that. Uh, and then that way your your waxed chain can continue to be waxed, but on the move. There we go. Yep. What's on your mind? Well, I have a sort of like continuation of last week's, mm. which uh, is the debate around the valley in the Iron Horse Bicycle yeah. Classic. Because I had a bunch of people message me about this and be like, well, you've got 45 minutes in the valley and you're going to save more watts there in the fast part that it's worth going more arrow and i don't agree i guess mm. because i'm going to be in a group that whole time so mm. like last year i was you know it's two world tour pros in the front of this group we're going 55k an hour but i'm doing like 230 watts in the back so i don't know your thoughts like is it worth going all arrow and doing 220 or is this still something that I, I want to focus more on the Have on the you climb? considered a 62-tooth chain ring in a classified rear one? <laughs> <laughs> I have not. Uh, maybe I you should. Uh, 
Yeah, I mean, it'd be, it would be good for. So I, I didn't, I didn't really describe the the course all that well last last time, which is like, because it's forty five minutes in the valley, and then you climb, and the steepest part of the climb is actually right at the beginning. You climb, 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 climb. You get all the way up to the top of Coalbank Pass, and that's at like ten thousand feet. But then you descend, big descent, probably five ten minutes, down like another fifteen hundred two thousand feet. And then you climb back up again to the top of Molus Pass, uh, and that is again at like ten in a bit. And then you drop all the way into Silverton, which is at like seven something. So, like I said, I, I I didn't describe it well last time because I said that you finished higher than you started, which is true. But you also go way higher than that and descend a couple different times, twice actually, uh, including a descent that drops you down basically into the finish line. So there is a fair amount of like high speed descending and it's also it's pedally because it's it's highway grade for those descents so it's like american highway grade which means nothing is steeper than about five six percent and so it's often very much like you got to stay on the gas to hit max. you can't just sit there and tuck you'll go way slower if you sit there and tuck so a 62 chain ring would actually be <laughs> not the worst thing in the world for for last year i had a compact on i had a 50 and a 34 up front and that well, was the worst thing in the world i I hate I hate content compacts, <laughs> uh, and I will be fixing that <laughs> before this year for sure. At least put a fifty three on or fifty two. Um, mm. But yeah, it's not a bad idea, really. Yeah, do go all in. Mm. So that's that's where I'm at. The, the 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 valley is the part that seems to trip people up and tripping me up at the moment. It's like whether I should go more arrow, given that sort of forty minutes in a in a pack. A listener did contact me after that episode and said. Uh, all Kaylee needs is a new giant propel. And I actually don't I disagree. Same, I think the same person might have contacted it's quite me, possible. actually. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, it, I guess the that bike being a very lightweight aero bike, so you kind of do have hmm. benefits of not carrying around a, a heavy aero bike, but you you have the, the wind holding ability. Um, I, I don't, know. don't know if you've seen it. I seen one of those propels in the carbon recently. I had it up on my Instagram, and mm-hmm. yes, I was struck by how light it was. You know, yeah. we had all we had heard to claim weights, but actually, it is that light. The only yeah, thing I would say is that with pedals, yeah, yeah, and it was Jurius DA two KDX Ultra fifties. You know, it, yeah. it was it was top of the line on everything, but there also wasn't really a way I could see to make it much lighter than that again uh, no that, that's no. that's the only thing it is kind of like it's at seven kilos and that's a smaller size Katie I think would need a medium large when it comes to giant don't mm-hmm. don't know if it would be yet, still at seven kilos and don't know if it would be any way to get it much lighter but no. I, th- I think the idea is based around what what I think I had said last week was to sort of aero optimize a lightweight setup um, and I I I'd, I'd sort of, I think I subconsciously assumed that you would be in a group for the, for the flatter sections, and that was kind of part of my thinking. But much like you did last week, you've given us about thirty seconds notice again here to come up with a, a, an answer to a complex <laughs> problem. So <laughs> that's what I like to do. Run yeah. what you brung. I mean, realistically, I'm probably going to run this Athos with some deeper wheels. I think it sounds probably. good. Probably. Uh, I mean, unless Giant wants to send me a Propel, uh, Giant get in touch (laughs) if you if you would like to see your bike ride its way to 23rd uh at the iron horse bicycle classic then then get in touch because that's probably about where i'll end up (laughs) all right 
it's time for us to wrap up today. Thanks for listening, as always, to this week's Geek Warning. Thank you to everybody who gave us a share last week. Uh, like we said before, you can get this on either channel. You can get this on the Geek Warning channel or the Placeholder channel. We'll be back next week with news. Mm. Big news. By the Yeah, by the time we record this next week, things will be public and uh, we'll, be t- we'll talk about it. I so, would, next week's episode, not just for that reason, but I think next week's episode is going to be a pretty big one pretty interesting there's i'm looking i'm looking into the future there's a lot to talk about i agree i agree so yeah make sure you tune in next week make sure you tell your friends uh and give us a rating and a review on itunes by which point we will also know if victor campanard has like changed cycling forever or stopped cycling from changing forever (laughs) (laughs) can't wait all right thanks everybody bye-bye cheers